Yeah, before I start, I would just like to say, if you were here and you were helping out yesterday, would you stand? All right, clap for these people. Um, I, and I just want to echo what Andre said. I really want to thank everybody who came yesterday and, and helped out. It was really, really, it's, uh, you know, I think hands in a way the best event we've ever done. Um, just from one end to the other. Uh, I just, you know, we still, I just wish we could put our finger on what it would take to really attract our neighbors in here. But we did have a, a you know, a pretty good crowd, and so I was happy with that. And uh, just couldn't have been happier with the, um, with the help that we had and the way it was set up. So the whole thing was just top-notch from start to finish. And so uh, really just want to give all the credit to Andre and Cindy and, and Bobby and Jim and, and all those who helped. I mean, because they did a fantastic job. So thank you once again. Uh, and yes, no one was hurt. So that's... <laughs> Ah, yes. They were a big hit. There was one family that left here with like half a dozen. Wow. It's like, <laughs> are you going to have a party when you get home? Uh, all right, well, let's pray before we start here. So, Father, I, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the, the opportunity um, to be the one to share it today. Um, Lord, I just pray your blessings upon it, and uh, not only on the giving, but on the receiving as well. So I just give you the praise and the glory, Lord, for what uh, you will do with it. So we just give you thanks and praise and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just noticed my slide advancer is not here. Is it up there? <laughs> Probably. No, I don't think so. That could be dangerous. We w probably would have some injuries in that at that point. Okay, so got several new folks here today, so I just want to kind of uh, recap a little bit. We, a number of weeks ago, or actually it's probably months now, began a study of the book of Revelation. Okay, and why do we do that? Well, because that's a book that a lot of people don't read, and they don't read it for a number of reasons. Uh, many people think it's confusing, and, and I certainly would agree with them. It, you know, if you're not really clear on what's in there, it is confusing. And so the whole purpose of this sermon series has been to try and help erase some of that uncertainty, clear up the confusion, and uh, make it a little bit more clear what John the, Pro uh, John the Prophet was talking about when he wrote this book. So that's really what we're doing. Um, we're into... Uh, the latter part of chapter 6 this week. However, if you want to get caught up, everything is out on, our, uh, is out on the website. So harmonyvineyardchurch.com, you can click on it, it says sermons, and you can find all of the Revelation series out there. Um, and if nothing else, you might want to listen to the very first one because that's where we sort of explain more of what we're doing here and, and so forth. So just a little background. And so what I do each week is I sort of recap where we were the week before. And so we were in the first half of Revelation 6. And so the big idea for that, really, that those um, eight verses was this. It's like Jesus, the one who is worthy, opens the first four seals of this scroll that uh, John sees. 
and human sinfulness is then allowed to run its course. And the result of all that is, is not pretty. In fact, it's downright awful. And so that's kind of what we begin to see happening here as these, um, as these seals are starting to be opened. And so there were a couple of uh, insights that we had as a result of that. Um, the first one was that God's judgments often involve uh, allowing sin to run its course. And I think a lot of times we would look, we would hear that, or and we would go, well, why? Why would, why would he do that? And I think uh, what it seems has to happen is that um, for evil to do its worst, it has to reach its height. And so at that point, it's finally ripe for judgment. Um, and I think part of that is because um, there's a, there's a section in Genesis where um, God is telling Abraham that his family's going to have to wait for four generations before they come to possess the promised land. And he says, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, so there is a, there's a waiting period there. And so, and I think there's good news in this in the sense that God's not going to judge someone until... Um, they are fully and thoroughly deserving of it, okay? So it tells us that there's always hope. There's always hope, right? Until at the very, very end, there's hope for even the worst of sinners. Uh, and then uh, the other insight that we sort of have is that, you know, while, you know, there is a mix of current events and, and elements of prophecy that are, that are mixed throughout the book of Revelation, it really doesn't do us a whole lot of good to just focus solely on what we think the end times is going to look like. And we've talked about this, you know, periodically through this series. And be, because if we do, number one, Scripture's pretty clear that we aren't going to be able to predict it anyway, right? And so we're going to get a lot more out of the study of this book if we look at it in the context that in which it was written, which means how the, the folks that were reading it in the first century were receiving it. Okay, So understanding it that way is going to help us a lot more in our faith walk than trying to figure out, okay, when's the apocalypse, apocalypse coming and what's it going to look like and so on and so forth. So... That's really what we, we talked about last week. And so um, now just to talk a little bit about what we're going to go into this week. And so <clears throat> these first four seals have been opened, um, and they really function as preliminary judgments, right? It's something that God is allowing to happen not only then, but it continues out through human history. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it results in the suffering of God's people. And so as a result of that, when the fifth seal is finally opened by John, um, he sees the souls of all these martyred believers in heaven. And they cry out to God for vindication and for justice. And God's response is what we hear so often that we just absolutely do not want to hear. And it's, you need to wait a little longer. That's a hard word to get. And, you're in, and if you're, especially if you're right in the midst of something, and you do not want to hear, we'll just wait a little bit. Um, 
And so then the sixth seal is opened, and there is no more delay. And so then the unbelievers are now starting to face the wrath of God. Um, and so this is some indication that at this point in the text, we have reached the end of history. And so what the overall message of this is going to really look like is once again, it's encouraging us to stand strong, regardless of what opposition we may end up facing. So let's, let's break it down a little bit, look at uh, some of these verses individually. Well, first of all, we'll look at the whole thing. And then we'll start to pick it apart. And then kind of to finish this off, we'll look at some application of, of what, this is, what this means for us today. You know, what could we take out of this that is going to help us move forward in our lives? So to then begin with these, uh, this is Revelation chapter 6, the verses 9 through 17. And I, this is taken from the, the NIV, New International Version. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For, great, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So that's the text we're looking at today. So let's begin by looking at verse 9. So when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And so the scene is shifting here from what we looked at last week, which was the, the, what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse and what's going on on earth, all these things that are happening on earth. Um, and now John is seeing back up into heaven and he's seeing all the souls of these slain believers beneath the altar. And this is really an imagery that's taken uh, once again from the Old Testament uh, because the altar is where all the sacrifices occur and it's where the blood of the slain victim, whether you know animals, would have uh, flown down the sides of the altar and sort of formed a pool at its base. Um, and as Leviticus 17.11 states, the soul of the flesh is in the blood. And so that's why we can see that he's seeing these souls around the uh, base of the altar. And it says that, you know, just like John, because John's been exiled for what he has been preaching, right? And so just like John, these martyrs had also experienced persecution because of the word of God and their testimony. And so like Jesus, who we know as the sacrificial lamb, 
these believers too had been slain. They'd been killed for what they were, what they believed and what they said. But now, however, they're waiting in God's presence and under his protective care. And it, you know, it, it seems natural for us to see these figures as literal martyrs, martyrs who are now with the Lord. But Revelation is also extolling the sacrificial suffering of all of us, of all of God's people. Um, even if that suffering doesn't necessarily result in physical death. Because there's a lot of persecution that happens in the church that doesn't necessarily result in someone being killed. Um, however, if you were a first century reader of this book, you would have begun to see a lot of this happening. I mean, because persecutions were starting um, and all the churches were soon going to know the anguish of having some of their leadership or some prominent members of their church actually killed and executed for what they believed. So this is actually starting to, to happen. So moving on to verse 10. They called out in a long voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And so... The blood of the martyrs has been poured out, and you know they're crying out from this pool beneath the, the altar. You know how long? How long is it going to be? How long do we have to wait? Um, now, that that whole phrase "how long" is kind of a standard phrase that is invoked throughout Scripture at various places, um, and it's sort of a way. It's sort of a catchword for invoking. Uh, divine justice against any kind of oppression. But the background for this particular phrase, once again, comes from the book of uh, Zechariah. And uh, I think I put it up here. So Zechariah 1.12 says, Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? Now, what's interesting to many about this is that in, in some cases this whole this very blunt cry for justice strikes us as strange and it's because in this particular age we have really degenerated from a biblical worldview and well how do I know that well it I know it because if you were truly acquainted with what the Psalms say you would understand this. Because if you ever really read the Psalms, there's some raw language in there, right? I mean, it is, it's Lord, I want you to smite this town, this person. I mean, it's, I mean, I heard it explained once that there were, there's a number of lang levels of language, right? And the most basic of these is sort of a completely unvarnished, you're not, putting any kind of spin on it. It's just a cry out from the depths of your soul. And that's what the Psalms are. And in many cases, you have these people who have been hugely oppressed, and they are crying out for blood. I mean, it's not pretty. We think of the Psalms as being these lovely poetic, poetic you know, sonnets or whatever. That's really, I mean, some of them are, truly, but not all of them. I mean, there are some that are, are very much bloodthirsty in, in what they want. And it's like, Lord, I want you to do this and this and this. 
and then spit on their grave and then do this. So, I mean, it's pretty raw stuff. Um, but we have somehow fallen under this pagan delusion, if you want to call it that, that it's unchristian for us to pray for God's wrath, to be poured out upon the enemies and the persecutors of the church. No, <laughs> not if we believe what the Psalms say. That's exactly what we see people doing in those Psalms, and it's part of God's word. So it's not unchristian at all. So then moving on to 611. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants were killed just as they had been. And so what this is saying is that the full number of martyrs is not yet complete. Uh, and we've, we've got to remember that the, the primary application of this is it's concerning apostate Israel. Those who dwell in the land and who were cooperating with the Roman authorities were murdering the saints. And so these martyrs are instructed to wait a little while that God is going to ultimately judge everyone and is going to bring this great tribulation upon what's left of Israel that is breaking the covenant that they have had with God. So then verses 12 through 14, this is kind of a summary. He opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to earth. The heavens receded. And so at this point, and God is beginning to answer the prayer of the mortars. Now keep martyrs. I'm sorry I keep saying that. Mortar is what goes between bricks. Martyrs are... <laughs> say that over and over. Um, and... What happens is the lamb is revealing sort of the next great aspect of his covenantal judgment. And it's a symbol that we see a, a lot of times in biblical prophecy. And w I would refer to it as decreation. Okay? So it's like the reverse of creation. The earth is starting to fall apart rather than be put together. And so, you know, the salvation of all of us, of God's people, is always spoken of in terms of creation. And so now we're seeing God's judgment, which is the reverse of that, um, and the revelation of God's presence as a judge over the world, spoken of in terms of decreation, which is essentially the collapse of the universe. It's ripping apart and really dissolving the whole fabric of creation in this. And so these seven judgments uh, detail and they use imagery that's very familiar in the Old Testament. They're, it's very familiar prophetic imagery. So first of <coughs> all, destabilization of the earth comes through a giant earthquake. Then uh, we have the eclipse as the sun becomes black. Then uh, continuing on with that idea of an eclipse, the idea of defilement is added as the moon <coughs> becomes like blood. Fourth, the judgment affects the stars, which uh, usually are images of government or can also refer to time. Uh, and so their fall is essentially showing that Israel's time is running out. Uh, fifth, Israel now disappears as the heavens vanish like a scroll when it's rolled up. And there are a lot of Old Testament references uh, on the symbolism as, of Israel as heaven. 
Six, the Gentile powers are shaken just as well. The mountains and the islands are now moved out of their places. And so all told, God's old creation is, is falling apart and uh, his kingdom is being transferred to the new creation, the church. And then 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? What this is telling us is that there is no one who can escape the wrath of God. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. He, and he lays out this sevenfold classification. You notice how everything keeps coming up in sevens. You have kings, princes, generals, the rich, the mighty, the slaves, and the free. And so that's a, a complete, a comprehensive list of all, uh, all mankind. And so these people are horrified at the idea of facing the wrath of God. And so the first thing they do is they try to hide, which, you know, that instinct goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? You know, they send and they try to hide in the garden. Well, the same thing is happening now at the end of the book. The sinners are still trying to hide from God. Um, but hiding's not enough. They actually plead for a violent death because they fear the wrath of God more than they fear death. They hide from God's face, whereas believers are comforted by the promise that one day we will see God's face. And so we have, you know, sort of this prophetic imagery is still in play as John's describing uh, these apostates of Israel. None, no one is going to be able to, to escape. So the big idea here for this week is this, this plea by the martyrs to judge evil and to avenge their blood will be answered when God's people complete their suffering and God and the Lamb pour out their wrath on the wicked world. Now, it's, we find it really throughout history, God's people have always been martyred and suffered persecution at the hands of, of evil people. And the Bible consistently supports a theology of endurance, not a theology of escape. But all the while, assuring believers that they will never suffer God's wrath or condemnation. So that idea is there throughout scripture. We hear it from Jesus himself. He told his followers, in the world you will have trouble. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We hear about the martyrs of the early church, James and Stephen, Antipas, all of those who were put to death under Nero. You know, the stories are uh, all throughout some of the extra-biblical writings about Nero using the bodies of Christians 
to light his gardens at night, Set, you know, coating them with pitch and setting them on fire to light his garden so he could see at night. And so this whole section of Revelation reminds us that we shouldn't be surprised when injustice comes our way, um, especially at the hands of the ungodly for the testimony that we've been, been given. That's what brings it about in many cases. And I think we've also got to figure out a way um, to stop being so allergic to this picture of, an, of a wrathful God. Um, you know, we're told, well, that's just, that's malicious and that's medieval. And I think uh, probably the clearest and maybe the most egregious example of this uh, occurred in 2013. And it was and then that uh, the Presbyterian Committee on Congregational Song, which is a group within the Presbyterian Church that gets together and agrees on songs that will be in their hymnal. All right. Well, they were refusing to include the song In Christ Alone. Familiar with that song? Well, the reason that they were refusing to include it in the hymnal was that the authors of the song refused to replace the line that said, the wrath of God was satisfied with the love of God was magnified. And this is what the Presbyterian Committee was trying to do to the song. They wanted to take out this idea of the wrath of God and replace it with the love of God. Now, I think that's something we all would love to do, right? You know, nobody wants the wrath. But the thing is, we've got to realize and we have to accept the fact that it, the wrath of God is real. And we can't get rid of it just by taking it out of a song. And in fact, the songs that we sing testify powerfully to the God that we confess we believe in. And so we've got to be willing to stand up to the fact that one aspect of this God we believe in is wrath. Now, not wrath towards us, but wrath towards the unbeliever. All right? So some points that we can sort of take with us and move out into, uh, into our lives. I've said this a number of times in different ways, but it's worth saying again, we should expect to suffer as a result of being witness to Jesus. It's always happened from the beginning of time. Um, and in fact, the martyrdom described in Revelation is being repeated around the world at a, at a very alarming rate. And in fact, um, there have been roughly 100 million martyrs who have died for their faith in the 20th century. That is more than the entirety of the previous 19 centuries worth of martyrs. So it's obviously increasing as Christianity spreads and the opposition to it is spreading as well. Researcher David Barrett estimates that 160,000 believers were martyred in 1996 alone. And persecution is common in Africa, in Asia, and obviously in the Middle East. 
But see, we, we, we also have got to stop kidding ourselves that that's the only place it is. Because there have been shootings in schools and in churches in recent times. And those have produced young martyrs in the United States. And so I think as Western Christians, we have a responsibility to be intercessors and public advocates on behalf of our brothers and sisters in other countries who are being killed for their faith. The book of Revelation never encourages us to seek out persecution. But it does call us to live faithfully regardless of what's happening. And there are times when we can avoid trouble by just not saying anything. But I think sometimes following Jesus means that you have to say something. Regardless of what the cost may be. Uh, and I guess as sort of a ancillary to that, that you know, we do have to be careful that we're not going to cause unnecessary opposition to, to Christianity or to our faith by acting obnoxiously. You know, and I, I, I know I go back to this a lot, but to that whole scene that we witnessed in New Orleans, you know, with the, uh, the group of gay men on one side of the street and this group of supposed Christians calling them all sorts of horrible names and, and so forth, and, you know, just how it broke our hearts to see this. You know, this is the way Christians were treating the very people that they ought to be loving. Number two, waiting on God's timing is an essential part of, uh, of our faith journey. It stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> it really stinks. And I'm sure there are a number of people sitting here today who sometime during the course of the week were like, how long, God? How much longer? Whatever it is you're dealing with. For a lot of people, it's, it's um, political commercials. How much longer, God? <laughs> but, to, you know, we've got to remember that, that God's ways are not our ways. Right? Um, and it's especially difficult here in this country because we're not used to waiting for anything. I mean, life happens on fast forward yep. in this country. Um, I mean, we can all point to some big trend that was all the rage last week, and no one even remembers what it was this week. Uh, but God very often works slowly, and it's very frustrating. I read one old preacher put it this way when he talked about how we grow spiritually. He says, when God wants to produce a squash, it takes three days. When he wants to produce an oak tree, it takes 30 years. And although we should never be content with injustice or become satisfied with anything less than what God has promised us, we more than likely are going to have to wait. And even if we have to wait beyond our own lifetimes, it's going to be worth it. Because even death cannot change God's commitment to what he said he would do. And then sort of the good news part of this is that we can persevere. Because as we see in what we read this week, that 
in the end, God is going to judge evil and vindicate his people. Now, I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> but there are three ways that you can end a game of chess. In the first one, player simply wins the game, and that's checkmate, right? That's the end of the game when that happens. The second way is that both players sort of come to the conclusion that there's no way anybody's going to win, right? It's, it's a draw, and they both agree to that. You know what the third way is? Yes. <laughs> one of the players loses his temper, kicks the board over, and stalks off. It's a highly unsatisfactory way to end the game, but it feels really good in the moment. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that sort of think God um, is faced with this long chess game of running the world. And um, that, that he really should just simply kick the board over <laughs> and uh, kind of just leave it at that, right? You know, that the, that the game of this life on earth has become so stupid and so complicated, and there are so many people doing so many outrageous and crazy and idiotic things, and that there are, there's so much suffering and pain and anger and violence. Isn't it time, God, for you to just step in and do something? I mean, kick the darn board over. Shouldn't he just send in the tanks and just kind of <laughs> clean it all up? Wouldn't that be better than just letting this thing run off to its conclusion? No. No. See, in his merciful sovereignty, God is patient and he is long-suffering. But eventually, he is going to act to right the wrongs and condemn the evil. Just because something is delayed, we shouldn't question its inevitability or its certainty. The martyr's hope for vindication goes beyond their existence as disembodied souls in God's protective care. They cry out for something that was taken from them, from something that um, they didn't get, which is a kind of justice. And so they look up to heaven for that. And they believe that God is going to restore everything to its rightful place. And we need to also be really clear about what they're saying in their prayer. Because it's a cry for God to vindicate himself and his people. It's not a cry for personal revenge. And we should pray for our enemies and for our persecutors, um, primarily so that they would repent and could be led to forgiveness. But at the same time, we also should pray and long for the overthrow of all evil in this world. Let's turn the, turn the lights back out, if we would, please.
we want to do now is um, it's really just just kind of wait on God. We uh, are a church that believes that God still does things, that God still speaks to people, God still heals people, that um, his miracles still occur. And so we're committed as a church to make room for that in each of our services. And we don't always know what that's going to look like. Um, sometimes there's just a peace that sort of comes over the congregation that you can feel. Um, sometimes it could be joy. And people begin laughing. Because they're just, they're experiencing that joy of the Lord that uh, just comes upon them in a, in a very real way. Um, sometimes nothing at all happens, at least not that we can tell. But there's uh, something that's perhaps going on internally with us. And so we just want to kind of make some room for that. We're just going to wait for a little while. We're not going to sit here till four, I promise. I'm, I'm working on patience, but I'm not to that point yet. And so we just want to just kind of just ask the Holy Spirit to come and just sit with that for a little bit and just kind of see what God wants to do.